This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurements from the CFA Institute. Most of us have one or maybe more in our wallet or purse, and used correctly, they can be a useful tool for managing your money. We're going to be talking about credit cards this morning. We'll review some of the basic credit card terminology and talk about benefits and risks of using credit. As always, Nancy and Ryder are ready to help with any personal finance question that you might have this morning. You can email the show by sending it to money at mpbonline.org. So we usually talk about uh, financial news in the news to kick things off, but this week we do have an early caller on the line. So let's go right to the phone lines and say good morning to Nick, who's called in from Tibby. Good morning, Nick. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, I have two questions. Uh, The first question is, what is the average CD going rate at this particular moment in time? Uh, so we've seen CDs on the upper end north of 5%, but one of the things you have to watch out for is how long is that CD for? A lot of times people buy a CD because they want to lock in an interest rate for a longer period of time. And right now, what we're seeing is that the shorter term CDs, the kind of six, nine, maybe 12 month CDs are the ones with the higher rates, the 5% and up. And of course, it just depends on where you're looking and, and, um, you know, some may have some teaser rates or some may have some special, you know, this has to be new money coming into the bank. Um, and then we're seeing on the longer end when people want to lock up, you know, for three or five years, lower rates of around four, even below I've seen recently. Uh, so you have to think, okay, do I want this attractive? It, it makes a weird trade off for people. It, it, this 5% or 5.5% that you get for six or nine months, this is really attractive. But clearly the bank who's issuing that is expecting that in six or nine months when you go to renew that CD, they're going to be able to give you a lower rate. So it's just a weird trade-off time folks are in. I, I personally have been in the longer uh, – the, the, uh, expecting that rates will be higher for a little bit longer than a lot of predictions have been. Um but we, we just don't know how how long rates will stay this high if they're going to go up, if they're going to go down, uh, and when. So, yes, that's a that's a long answer just to say, yeah, about five. <laughs> it's, just preferen- uh, it's just your preference as to what your needs are and what you're looking for. That's correct. Absolutely. And that's absolutely something you need to be thinking about when you buy a CD is, well, what am I putting this money away for? You know, if if you want to use it for, oh, just getting a little higher yield, it still needs to be super accessible. Maybe you do want a shorter term and maybe you do want to split your account up and, and not put it all in one CD, but stagger it so that you all kind of always have a CD maturing. But maybe you have something that you can you're saving much longer term for. You you are thinking three to five years and you're thinking, you know, the four percent, it's good enough. If that's good enough for you, uh, you know, I, I hate to, you know, 
misalign somebody's dollars with their goals just to get another half or 1% out of it. I understand. All right, my second question is, when it comes to debit cards, when it comes to credit cards, if you happen to be, which you probably will be sooner or later, if you're hacked, is it better off to have been using credit cards or debit cards as far as the process you got to go through to get your funds back? Absolutely, absolutely a credit card. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, use the credit card because the credit card is basically um, a loan that you can then say, I didn't take out that loan, and so you don't have to pay that back. If you use your debit card and get hacked, that money immediately comes out of your bank account. And yes, it might go back in, but it could take a couple of months to get all of that sorted out. So to protect your cash and your situation, um, a credit card is more secure. Yeah, and, and we'll definitely be talking more about that. That is one of the first things we're going to talk about today. But the important thing to remember kind of conceptually that really a lot of this stuff leads from is that with a debit card, you are spending your own money. Access to a debit card is direct access to your bank, your little pile of money that you've saved up. Access to your credit card, that is, that's Mr. J.P. Morgan Chase's money. That's that's Madam American Express's money. That is not your money, and you have someone much bigger and with a lot more power than you uh, who can go to bat for you in, in case of fraud, in case of even, even in case of where uh, maybe your product just didn't, you ordered something online and it never came or it it came damaged and you had a dispute all sorts of instances you are dealing that is somebody else's money and they will fight for it too and then of course just like nancy said it just the the way you get your money back is is often much quicker with a credit card it doesn't even come out of your pocket for it could be 45 days it may never you may never see a fraudulent charge actually impact your your dollars Yes, I understand. In other words, it would be settled before the amount would come due on it. Potentially, yes. Absolutely. Okay. I believe that's my question, and I appreciate your answer. I hope you all have a great day. All right, Nick. Thanks. Good calls to start us off. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Nick had a call about credit cards, and that's our main subject this morning. But if you have any sort of personal finance question that you need uh, help with, you can email the show, money at mpbonline.org. I'd like to remind you that usually we don't get to the emails on the air, but uh, you will get a response from either Nancy or Ryder when you do email the show with your question. So we do like to talk about things in the news financially this week. So, Nancy, what's, uh, what's been on your mind? Well, we're talking about um, household debt and the use of credit cards. So I wanted to talk a little bit about government debt. And uh, certainly in this election year, we're hearing a lot of buzz about that. And oh, my goodness. And really look at the difference between two terms. One is the deficit and one is debt. So deficit is, in uh, U.S. government terms, is the amount of money that we're spending beyond what we're collecting in revenue. And uh, over the last 50 years, we've only had five times, five years in 50 years that we've run a surplus, that we've collected more than we've spent, which tells me it really doesn't matter which political party is in power. We're going to be seeing deficits. And the debt is the collection, the accumulation of those years of deficits. Um, We are running a deficit this year, 
And if we keep at the same pace, that cumulative amount will be over $500 billion. But our total debt that we have collected from year to year is now over $34 trillion. But bear in mind a couple of things. The first is that the government is not like a household. And so I don't think it's time to set our hair on fire over this because the government is a going concern. That means it lasts from generation to generation and household eventually will end and all of that has to be settled. And the other thing is that our U.S. government has the ability to create money and uh, they do it basically out of thin air. Um, So that gives me a little comfort in all of this. But we do need to look at some of those issues. And, um, you know, I'm part of the big problem now as I age because our five biggest pieces that compose the budget that amount to about three quarters of uh, what we are spending, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, defense, and interest on the debt. So you're going to be hearing a lot about those issues and a lot about debt and deficit. Make sure you understand what those are and don't just um, uh, react to that terrible, oh my gosh, uh, we have a lot of debt. Ryder, what about you? Oh, wow. <clears throat> Nancy, that was really heavy. I don't know how I can go after that. I was just thinking recently, you know, if you were attending just some really big, well-anticipated event, you know, just a real exclusive event, it is in the evening, you had to have a ticket, people were paying thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. Wouldn't you dress up, like put on put on some nice clothes, like a suit, maybe a tuxedo, a right. ball gown? You know, what, maybe your nice sneakers, Kevin, would you, would you do <laughs> a that? A new pair, yeah, true. Of course, I'm talking about the Super Bowl, and I, you know, I didn't see anybody wearing a tuxedo or anything. It's just, it's just like the decorum has gone out the window. Um, oh, the, the Super Bowl is an interesting economic event. Of course, it was in Las Vegas, so we we just kind of isolated it in the middle of the desert. So I don't know if the, if anybody else felt any economic impact from there. Um, and 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 cities they're really excited to host this sort of event. It's a big, really high profile thing that puts them on the map in some way, but it's really tough a lot of times on cities because, of course, the NFL is making the most money out of it. Of the hundreds of millions, maybe a billion dollars that's going to come out of that that people are going to spend on that, a lot of it's on advertising that goes to the TV networks. A lot of it is on, of course, all the ticket sales, which the NFL takes, uh, all of their pre-existing TV kind of licensing uh, revenue. So it can be kind of tough on cities, especially because places Las Vegas is kind of made to handle surges of people there are a few places that are made to handle this sort of surge of people but otherwise generally speaking cities are not so it's just kind of always interesting to see what is the economic impact and it's said to be up to 1.3 billion dollars of spending uh, but very little of that really trickles down to the local economy of if you have to bring in workers from out of state or or out of town uh, to support restaurants and and hotels. And if, of course, your hotels get overloaded and they spill out into neighboring cities, it's just it's just not the good deal for folks that uh, for the for the municipality. But it's just an interesting economic puzzle there. But people should dress up more for that. I think. Well, I think it should be all tuxedos. Next I, I year. will say that uh, back in the day, it was the norm for NFL coaches to wear a suit on the sideline. Uh, Tom Landry comes to mm. mind, famous uh, court, uh, coach for the the Dallas Cowboys. When did it all go downhill, Kevin? Well, it's. 
I, I don't know. It's, then um, you, know. you know, Kevin, you need to ask Ryder what he wears to work every day. Kevin is yeah. Kevin is looking <laughs> at me right me. now. <laughs> he is looking at me right now wearing <laughs> what I wear. But again, this isn't the Super Bowl. This, you know, this is this is work. <laughs> I got to roll up my sleeves. I've got my sleeves rolled up. Could you? Uh, I think. Well, you know, I saw that Taylor Swift was dressed up, and that's all yes. I was saying. All right. <laughs> she was at the Super Bowl. I didn't. I didn't yes, know that. she was. Oh, really? <laughs> Who's Taylor Swift? I've never heard of this. Okay. You're listening to Money Talks. To hear past shows, you can go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. Then you get to listen to all the local MPB Think Radio programs on your schedule. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. We're looking for your personal finance questions, be they about credit or credit cards or any other personal finance topic. But we are going to be talking throughout the hour about credit cards, some, some ways to use them responsibly and that kind of thing, reviewing uh, the basics of credit cards. So, um, And by the way, happy Mardi Gras to everyone. Uh, today is Mardi Gras and... Uh, Got my Mardi Gras beads on here. We're having a little celebration here at work later, so that should be fun. Red beans and rice, and king cake, and uh, moon pies. Uh, and Kevin, yes, I, I just uh, I grew up in Gulfport, mm-hmm. so Mardi Gras, everything was shut down. Why are we here? <laughs> yeah, well, this you, should be a we, yeah. That's I a good point. went to uh, USM back in the day, and, and when I first started there, it was not uh, a day off. But I, I I think that they finally it was one of those where yeah, no one's coming to class on this day anyway. So let's just go ahead and make it official. That's right, because they're they're all donning their tuxedos and going down to the festivities. <laughs> they're going to the Super Bowl after that, though. I understand. <laughs> all right, back to the phone lines we go. Got some callers early the show. Always like to hear from folks, and so we're going to go to Mobile. Joseph is on the line. Good morning, Joseph. What's your question for us? Well, I, uh, I'm i 80 years old, and I, I've i never really had uh, bad... I mean, I don't owe anybody any money, but I don't have credit, and I'd kind of like to get a credit card, because sometimes you need one to uh, to, to do the things that you were t- talking about, like, like to buy something, and then you've got more time to pay for it. Right. So, I mean, how do I get good credit? What what can I do? So, Joseph, have you applied for a credit card? Well, I I have on on uh, a few times, and they turn me down because they say I don't have credit. Oh, that's interesting. And I don't, I've, I've usually bought it, everything I buy is, uh, is cash. I don't finance. I haven't financed a car since back in the sixties. Mm. You know. Yeah. So, uh, Joseph, um, do you have a bank account? Yeah, I do. Okay, so the easiest thing would be to go to your bank and uh, ask for them to issue you a credit card. They may be able to do a secured card, which we might be talking about that later, where you have a certain amount in the bank, in your bank account, and they issue a card against that amount. And it may be a small amount. Uh, Maybe you only need about a 1000 because you want to be able to transact business and purchase something online and be able to handle things that way. Um, But that would be the easiest way for you to do that. And then that allows you to build up some credit. It's really funny because we usually... Is like a debit card? um, It does not work. If you don't want a debit card, tell them you want to make sure it works as a credit card and you can use it as a credit card when you um, check out to make sure you don't use it as a debit card, which sometimes gets confused. Okay. 
And what's funny about this, Joseph, is we usually give this advice to young people starting out. So it's kind of unusual to have someone. Are you calling Joseph old, Nancy? Uh, Well, I'm just saying, you know, um, he's young at heart. How about that? (laughs) I think that's a great idea. Um, Oftentimes... Bank credit cards are not necessarily the ones with the most exciting features, uh, et cetera. But again, if it's a financial institution you're already working with, that's fantastic. Okay. And, and Joseph, he hasn't financed a car in decades, uh, probably paid your house off decades ago. So yes, there would be nothing on his credit report. I mean, people wonder, well, how can someone do that? They have had credit before. They're clearly, they're good at, I'm sure Joseph is very good at paying his bills and things like that. But things fade off of your credit report. I'd like to think of it as fading off. Things don't stay on there forever because the credit reporting bureaus and the people who are lending to you want to know kind of what have you done recently. If I was lending Joseph money, then, well, of course I'll lend. You know, I'd be happy to because he's a faithful listener. But if I were a bank lending Joseph money, I would not want to know, oh, did you pay off your car you know, 40 years ago? I would want to know, what have you been doing the last couple of months, couple of years? And so that's why it's important, if someone wants to maintain credit, to keep some file open. It's part of uh, obtaining credit is maintaining your own good standing. So just something to think about. But the secured bank card, I think that's a great idea from Nancy. That is a great idea. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, Joseph, thanks for the call. Let's uh, stay on the phone lines, stay in Mobile as well. Always love our Mobile callers on MPB Think Radio. Bill is on the line. Bill, what's your question for us today? Well, it goes back to what Nancy was talking about, where debt and deficits are concerned. I'd like you to explain the Social Security earnings cap and how that is running Social Security uh, into trouble. Well, um, I was just reading an article this morning, Bill, about uh, proposals on how to address our shortfall. Um, Right now, the projection is by 2033, and that is less than 10 years away, that there won't be enough money um, in that stockpile to cover the full benefit. We still are going to have money coming in because Social Security is financed by people who are currently working. So those of us who are currently working and paying into the system, that's what supports the benefits going out. But through the years, we've had more coming in than going out, and we have an aging population. So right now, the cap on Social Security, the point at which you no longer take uh, that Social Security tax out is around 168000 And um, we did have a cap on Medicare many years ago, but we we realized that that's not sustainable. We need more taxes coming in. And so the cap was taken off of Medicare earnings. I suspect that we may see that cap being raised or taken off entirely at some point as we try to continue to support the system. Because even though Social Security was pretty controversial when it was enacted in the 30s, it is embedded. Um, you're not going to get rid of it. You, any politician who raises that about Social Security is, you know, tossed off the cliff um, because it's such a huge part of our economy. Our seniors depend on that, especially those seniors on the lower end. For many of them, that's all they have. So that is one of the 
things that have been proposed is to address that cap. Also, another proposal is to tax more of Social Security for higher earners. We already have tax on Social Security earnings, and goodness, we hear complaints from our clients all the time. I paid that in. It's a tax. Why do I have to pay tax on top of the tax? Um, it's a different it tax. <laughs> That's why. Different. Well, <laughs> I would say to you, a tax is a tax is a tax. And um, still, we're just looking at um, how do we support the system, and there, there is a proposal to tax more of those Social Security earnings for people who are on the upper end who have other income. Right, and it's, it's, it's another example of the rich getting a benefit and corporations getting a benefit that average taxpayers don't. Uh, you know, if you earn more than 168000 you stop paying that tax. And your company also stops paying their half of that tax. Yes, yes. and you also stop accumulating benefit. There's no added Social Security benefit for you earning 168 and $1. So, that, so that's... That's a slight trade-off, and one great thing about Social Security is that the benefit is is weighted, and it is weighted very heavily to the first dollars that go in. So I don't uh, have the the breakpoints in front of me right now. They're on the Social Security website, but there's I believe two breakpoints, and then there's the cap where more of those first dollars count. Um, You're absolutely right in that if we did remove the cap, we would have more money for Social Security and we could still fiddle with the benefits so that it wasn't, you know, possible for someone to be getting a a million dollar a month benefit just because they had had an obscene income or something like that. Uh, But it is it is weighted towards those bottom incomes, which is which is, I think, a great thing, because, again, the, the purpose of Social Security is is so that we don't have seniors who are being forced to work when they really can or who are just living in dire poverty because they cannot work anymore. They have something which is keeping um, them alive and, and, and helping them participate in society. OK, thank you. I just think a lot of people don't understand the whole Social Security thing, and it's demagogue on both sides. You're absolutely correct about that. You are right about that one. All right, Bill. Appreciate your call. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We're looking for your personal finance questions this morning, as we do each Tuesday morning on Money Talks. Today, we're also talking about credit cards. Back to the phone lines we go, and we'll start again in Horn Lake. Our friend David has called in today. Good morning, David. You're on the air. What do you have for us? I got a question. Um, uh, I became an unpaid caregiver, taking care of my father with Parkinson's, my mother with Alzheimer's, and my sister with multiple sclerosis. Anyway, I got over 26 years paid in with uh, Social Security, and I'm presently drawn on uh, my wife's survivor benefits. When I go to convert from taking my wife's uh, uh, death survivor benefits over to my benefits, well, I get a, a like a raise for every year that I delayed taking benefits on my earnings instead of my dead uh, my 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 wife's uh, survivor benefits. Well, it's not really a delay. Um, that's not how they look at it. They just look at your earnings record, 
and um, it is adjusted for inflation. So the fact that you did delay, that could help you. I would suggest, David, that you call your local Social Security office and you can give them your um, Social Security number, your wife's Social Security number, and they can look at the situation and explain to you how that will change. How old are you, David? Uh, I just turned 68 today. Oh, happy birthday. So have you not already swapped over to your own earnings? No, no, no. I've been uh, cursed or blessed or whatnot. I've been, uh, I worked uh, three jobs for years, and I was planning on retiring early because I knew my family's medical history and whatnot. I was planning on retiring between 55 and 60 so I could identify, you know, enjoy my a few years because I know my my, his, my family history has a real long history of neurological diseases mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I worked and planned for that, and then life threw me a curveball because my mother had all to develop Alzheimer's. My father had Parkinson's, my sister had multiple sclerosis. But between trying to take care of all three of them, I let all my stuff go. So, right, uh, and that's that's happening to a lot of people um, because I mean, families. I, I saved the government yeah. a whole bunch of money on uh, on nursing home expenses and whatnot because we we took care of my, my mother and she she died at home and called mm-hmm. hospice. And anyway, I became unpaid pay giver, and uh, uh, so um, uh, I know there's no law for that, but I mean I'm hoping they'll change that that, uh, that at least where you can at least draw minimum wage. To help take care of love one family member with the, uh, you know. Anyway, so what do I do about my Social Security earnings now? <laughs> well, I, I would just. I, I'm still surprised that you have not been alerted at 68 because you have crossed over into full retirement age, obviously. Um, I think you did at 66 that they did not go ahead and send you something about that change. But again, I would say call your local office and ask those questions and explain and they can look at your earnings record your late wife's earnings record and explain how that will all work together and like i said i'm taking her i'm, I'm getting a check solely on her benefits mm-hmm. would it be a combination of the two or yeah. usually it is work? yeah usually it is yes okay. and but, but it but it's a weird way they calculate it um, so that if you look at it, you would just say, well, that's just the benefit for one. But the way Social Security looks at it is part of it comes from one person's earnings and part from another. But again, you're going to have to call a Social Security person. Uh, we have a great one that comes on, Sean Mercer, all the time, and uh, really let them look specifically at those two sets of earnings records and give you information about what that amount should be. Okay, thank you. All right, uh, David, uh, thanks for your call. Back to the phones we go. Off to Brookhaven. James has called in today. Good morning, James. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Good morning. How you doing? Good. What do you have for us today? I was just listening to the uh, last conversation about the Social Security, and the, one of the last statements that was made was that the subject of Social Security is kind of demagogue. I think that was the terminology used on both sides, and everyone kind of agreed with that. I was just wondering... I can someone kind of give me the, the from the Democratic side? I've never heard that. I understand where they're bogging and I was just because that was. I mean, I've heard people always talking about trying to get rid of Social Security, put more money, keep more money in their pockets. But uh, I've never heard that from the side. So I was curious. thank you. I would say from the Democratic side, there is the stance of, oh, we're just not going to talk about it. 
And that's a problem because we can see the horizon of 2033 when we won't have enough coming in to fully fund all of the benefits. Now, some people will say it's going to be broke. No, money will still be coming in, but we won't have enough to cover 100% of benefits. It's going to be somewhere in the 70 to 75% is all we'll have incoming. So that's what I think is a problem from both sides. Each side is afraid to really talk honestly about it. And if one side starts to say, we need to address it, then the other side just says, oh, we can't touch it. Um, But we do need to have a serious conversation about, is this important to us? Do we want to keep fully funding it the way it is funded now? Which means we're going to have to have uh, more income. And so if you do accounting, you understand that we either have to increase the revenue, increase the taxes somehow um, by raising that cap, as one gentleman um, suggested, or taxing more elsewhere, or we've got to decrease what we're paying out, decrease the expenses, which is what we did the last time we adjusted Social Security in 1983 by increasing the age and changing the calculation on those benefits so that future generations may not get as much as we are getting now. All right. Uh, this is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're looking for your personal finance questions. Also, we're talking about credit cards this morning. We're going to go to Gaucher next. Uh, Steve has called in today. Good morning, Steve. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Uh, i got two things to talk about, but the main one, nope. the second one, I'll do it later. But anyway, uh, both wife and I are in our 70s. I just, I just came in late on the conversation. So, some of my survivor benefits, when I die or whatever, my wife can get survivor benefits, correct? If you're both in your 70s, she would, I don't know that they would call it survivor benefits at that point, but she would receive whichever one of yours is the higher benefit. And, of course, the the calculation is... Is anybody anybody there that does know? That does know what? He is correct in that, uh, and that's always a concern when we work with a couple. When we lose one member of that couple, we're going to lose one Social Security benefit. We're going to lose the lower amount. So whoever is left will be left with the higher benefit. So typically, because women tend to marry older men, women tend to live longer, we usually have a woman who then takes over her husband's full benefit, but she loses that lower benefit amount. And that's a huge concern, especially since we have lost a lot of pensions out there um, and a lot of people are totally dependent on Social Security benefits. Um, and a couple losing a big chunk of their income is a big thing to deal with. Right. All right. Can I uh, just comment on something else? And sure. Go ahead, Steve. Talk about funding. Talk about funding and stuff. I remember when Social Security started, barely my daddy got the Social Security benefit, or whatever. At that time, our politicians or whatever you want to call those people up there. You know, say, hey, we're going to, you can get this amount of money on this equation at a certain age. And well, back then, age projection, you know, wouldn't live long enough to collect much, okay? Correct. And that money is supposed to be put, and money was, was put in a lock box, okay? And then here they come back later, well, we kind of go ahead and take that money. We can't get it now because people live it longer. We wouldn't have the stupid funding problem bad if it's damn 
excuse me, politicians wouldn't have took all the damn money. Took all the money. It was supposed to be set aside and locked by. They call it no, that's, like that's not correct. That's an incorrect way of looking at those taxes coming in. Yes, we did have a collection of money that really just goes into the general fund. It's all about accounting. Um, and Social Security's system actually makes money off of the general fund borrowing from all of that because it pays it interest. But the bigger issue is that when Social Security started, we had seven workers for every retiree. And as you mentioned, we also had lower lifespans. So a lot of people never even lived long enough to collect Social Security or collected it only for a shortened period of time. Longer lifespans, uh, we now, uh, this year, this year, we're going to have 4.1 million people turning 65. And that trajectory will continue through 2027. We'll start to see a little bit of decline of that baby boom generation. But that is really taxing, I'm using a pun there, the system at this point. And now we only have three workers for every retiree, and we're quickly going to two workers for every retiree. So the real problem is we have an aging population living longer. We need younger people working to support the system, and we need to change the way everything is calculated. All right, Steve, thanks for your call. We appreciate you calling in this morning. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodrich-Anderson and Ryder Taff. We have been talking about credit cards today, also answering your personal finance questions. And there's still time to work one in. If you're quick to the phone, you can email the show as well by sending it to money at mpbonline.org. I actually have a question regarding credit cards. And that is this one. So different credit cards offer different sort of incentives to try to get you to to apply for one. And one of the popular ones is the, the sort of the rewards or the cash back. And if I'm understanding this correctly, on the cash back, they take a like one, two percent of however much you spent in that period and they give you the money back. Well, my thing is, if I'm sort of just trying not to use my credit card a lot, it seems like I would never really get much of a return because I ain't using – I'm sorry. Ain't, I'm not Sir. using it that much. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're someone that is trying to maybe limit how much you put on a credit card, would rewards, would the cashback not be the best incentive for you to get? Would you try to get maybe a different sort of card? The, the value of rewards is all very similar. There's, it's, it's not like there's a card that gives you 50% of your spend back in value and there's one that gives you half a percent. No, there are some that give you essentially nothing in return, but nobody's giving you a whole lot. You just generally think of it as a half a percent to one or two percent. So with the cash back, what I do like about that as just a general matter is you don't have to worry about, oh, this is my Disney card that I get Disney bucks for, or this is my card that gives me a free banana every month. It's just, it's just I just get 1% back or 2% back on everything I spend, and then once it gathers up to enough money, because they usually say, okay, once you have $25 of cash back, you can apply it to your, to your bill. Uh, so that's how it works, and I think that's just a, a good general matter. I mean, certainly better than, oh, I got an airline point this month. Boy, if I keep spending at this rate for 762 <laughs> years, I'll be able to fly halfway to Memphis. Um, then they'll they'll push me out of the plane. Oh, sorry, bud. Should have spent more. Um, so, yeah, I like the cash back. I, I don't 
Well, I, like I said, yeah. I, I don't dislike it, but in my situation, it's not that much. And what I usually do immediately when I get it, even with the rewards uh, p- program, I think one of the cards calls it, I just wait and then I put the cash back into whatever my balance happens to be, which yeah. again, it fortunately I mean, that's, that's pretty much that the much. best way to do it. It's it's simple and, you know, it just works out to a 1% discount on everything you spend. And what card you need, um, as you indicate, Kevin, depends on your spending patterns. And um, if you tend to roll over credit, let it revolve, leave some on your card, not pay it off every month, it's more important for you to look at that interest rate that you're paying. Right now, the average interest rate for credit cards in the U.S. is about 21.5%. That is about 2% higher than it was just a year ago because of rising interest rates. Most people don't even know what their rate is. So if you're letting some amount stay on your card from month to month, you want to shop for the lowest rate. You don't care about cash back or rewards. Um, if you pay it off every month, then maybe you're more interested in some other, you know, whether it's airline flight points. Or for me, I have one card that I maintain because I want to be able to check my bags free when I fly out of mm. Jackson. So that's a great um, That's a great benefit right there. It's a huge benefit. Um, so you can go to creditcards.com, kind of look at, at uh, answer some questions about your spending patterns, what you use a card for, and they will then try to match you up with what the best cards that are out there. And and one thing I would add is sometimes it's not necessarily the type of benefit, but the type of spending that earns that benefit. So, Nancy, you mentioned kind of looking at where your spending is. There are cards that, say, may offer more cash back on gasoline purchase. And if you think you drive and use more gas than the average, that might be a good idea. Uh, there are cards they may offer uh, higher benefits or higher amounts of cash back or whatever it is for spending at certain airlines or certain restaurants or things like that. And so it's not not only what is the benefit that I want, do I want that free check bag, but where am I spending uh, and how can I maximize th- the amount of benefit that I receive through my spending that I'm already doing? This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines. Off to uh, Middleton we go. Larry has called in this morning. Larry, you're on the air with us, so go ahead. Yes, I was just concerned about, we're talking about the Social Security running out of money. And it's because we don't have enough workers. I understand that. But we have all these people coming in from the border. Most of them are young. Most of them are pregnant. You know, put them to work. Put them in the system. Maybe that'll pick up the money. Maybe that'll help. I mean, I see no problem with it myself. We happen to be in the world. Our population is lower than most countries that uh, produce. So maybe it'll help, you know. That's my question. So I, I want to make a, a kind of just observation about that. It, this is not to do with any kind of opinion about uh, immigration, more or less, or how it's done. But oftentimes, when someone does just say cross the border, uh, maybe illegally, uh, and they do try to find work, this is something that happens in this country. Um, they don't have their own social security number. They may use somebody else's social security number. That is uh, somewhat 
you know that that is something that happens and maybe it adds to someone else's earnings record or maybe it's just a fake number and nobody it's just getting lost in the paperwork shuffle uh but often the folks are paid kind of under the table they are paid in a non-reported way so by by them not being by somebody being not able to legally work that means they are not able to legally pay into the system and if you think about it someone who is not a permanent migrant someone who comes over and maybe would be prone to move back after a year or two a seasonal worker or something like that they are not someone who's going to be receiving benefits and someone who comes in maybe slightly later in life they may not even even if they migrate legally and pay into the system they may not earn enough credits even to receive benefits so I don't know how large that kind of untapped pool of payroll dollars is, um, but certainly by not allowing not allowing people to enroll in pay into Social Security, then yes, there are some dollars which are going to be uh, under the table in some way uh, because we all know the, the, these things are happening, whether or not Social Security is getting a benefit from it. Well, um, understand that. Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell has addressed this in several speeches, and most people don't realize that the funding of our government, the growth of our economy, and our policy on immigration, it's all connected with an aging population. So um, I'm I'm always fascinated by demographics, and uh, you are correct. Those immigrants tend to be younger, tend to have higher birth rates, um, and tend to fuel economic activity. This is Money Talk, so Randy's on the line, but we will not be able to get to that phone call. Randy, if you want to, you can uh, email us your question, money at mpbonline.org. So, Nancy, or uh, Ryder, give you the last shot here, credit cards. What do you think maybe the one important thing for people to think about to be good managers of their credit? Oh, my first. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, I... I I will say just the same thing I always say. They are a fantastic tool for managing your spending. And Kevin, I know you said you don't put a whole lot on your credit card, but there's not really a bad, there's not really a reason to avoid spending on your credit card so long as you pay it off in full every month. It is a tool for your spending. It is not a way to increase your spending. I'll say that every time. Nancy, a quick word on credit cards. Uh, pay attention to your interest rate. I would uh, challenge every listener out there to go find the interest rate on every one of your credit cards, write it in a big number, and put it on your refrigerator. Okay, very good. Money Talks is a production of MPP Think Radio, funded in part by support from listeners. You can listen back to this or any episode at moneytalks.mpbonline.org. And all local MPB programs are also available as podcasts. So for Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.